welcome back. <laughs> Success. <laughs> that was great. You I'm gonna do it again. Hold amazing. on. Edit it out. Hold on. Oh, you know I won't. I know. <laughs> welcome back to the Tipsy Ghost. <laughs> we are your tipsy hosts with Sarah, Sarah, and Lindsay. This is so bad. <laughs> Okay. I'm not, sure. I'm not sure about that maybe, one. Maybe take a deep breath. Okay. And third time's a charm. All right. Okay. Ready? Welcome back to the Tipsy Ghosts. We are your tipsy hosts, Sarah, Sarah, and Lindsay. You did I it. I did it. Guys, that that's good. good. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's very NPR. You are under so much pressure. How do you do this every week? Not well. <laughs> I'm just going to answer you. Also, also, Hi. Hi. I guess you guys say hi. Oh, dang. I forgot to do the, the awkward hello. This is why we have it we set rolls. up the way that it is. I don't think we can change positions again. No. Yeah, we tried it. Nope. Sarah's our introducer, and me and Boyson just say hi. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's okay. I have one job. Hey, guys. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. You are welcome. I'm doing just okay. Thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah. Honesty, love it. Uh, you know, we you are still surviving. Came from work today. Thank you for being so flexible. Hey, that's my middle name. This might be the first time we've recorded <laughs> on a weekday. Okay. It's not. It's not if you're worried. <laughs> yes, I think it is the first time. <laughs> <laughs> She's stuck on that. I said my middle name was flexible. <laughs> because it's not. <laughs> any of our middle names are flexible. <laughs> I try to be. I mean, yeah. I mean. We all tried to be. I did let you intro us today. You did, and that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> See? This is true. Maybe my flexibility. Okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, you did really well. It just didn't it feel took right. Me three times. I forgot to say hi. <laughs> just all thrown off. You had the same job. You just have to say hi. <laughs> no. We just, we're, we were talking about how Sarah has to practice every time before she does the intro. I know, and they all make fun of me. So I said, well, why don't you try? And so I did, and it is, like, I had to practice, and then I forgot what I was supposed to say. Um, I know. <laughs> it's just our names. <laughs> it's like two sentences. That's it. it. Really, I know, I just, I don't. I'm not good at public speaking and preparing in advance, you know? That's um, why I sound like an idiot on these podcasts, because I was I'm just, just coming up with so it off different the, than the, I'm the just coming up with podcast. it off the top of my head. I understand. I was never that great at public speaking either. Mm-mm. Nope. Nope. Terrible. I didn't talk to anybody besides my immediate family <laughs> until I was seven years old, so. Are you serious? Oh, yeah, that's a true story. Oh, that makes me so sad. (laughs) (laughs) I was like a huge social butterfly, and I mellowed out as I got older. Severe social anxiety. Oh, my gosh. Maybe maybe a touch on the spectrum. I don't know. So, like, in school? Yeah, I mean, if I had to talk to my teachers, I would, but I wouldn't make conversations, and I would be very uncomfortable if somebody approached me. Aww. Just plate by myself. I had one friend... (laughs) And then she moved away. It's just all very sad. We should move on. <laughs> Why? It's making me so sad for you. <laughs> My first kiss was, we shouldn't talk about this. Oh, oh now we have too late. to. <laughs> Spill it. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> oh, I, I can't wait to hear the awkward story. <laughs> yes, I'm going to edit this out. My first kiss was with a pole. <laughs> 
fuck it was going in that direction. <laughs> well, it's not <laughs> All right, continue. Yeah, I mean, I How don't old even. How were you? Oh. If you say 16. I was going to say, if you say 16, no, you're going to lose it. I was a wee tot. I was like six. Okay. And okay. you just thought you would kiss a pole? Yeah, well, I mean, there, like there weren't any boys. <laughs> I guess technically it might have been. Well, after, like, I practiced on the pole, and then there was a neighbor boy named Jimmy. Uh-huh. And we kissed once. <laughs> it, Jimmy was just once. The pole was actually multiple times. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so let's lead with your first kiss was Jimmy. <laughs> just leave it there. My first kiss was with Patrick. Oh. oh. I know. Kindergarten. What the hell, you two? <laughs> I mean, like, kiss. Like, a little mwah. Like, nothing. My first real kiss is, like, 16. I have other really sad stories. <laughs> but we should probably not focus on Did that. Did you name the pole? Wait, where no. was the pole? Was it the same pole? It was next to the carport. Okay. Oh, like at your house. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You, you put your tongue on a public <laughs> pole? <laughs> no, it was our our carport pole. But it was outside? It, like people the could touch it? outside. It wasn't in her house. <laughs> I mean, we had a pole in our basement. Oh, okay. You know? The next story. Well, you survived. That's what matters. To, <laughs> next story you bring up is about cigarette smoking. Can't wait. Mm-hmm. Tell us your first cigarette story. Yes, I've never smoked a cigarette, so I want to hear them. Well, technically, I don't think I have either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have, unfortunately. I've smoked a cigar, but not a cigarette. Ooh, one cigar is equal to a pack of cigarettes. I know. I didn't smoke the whole cigar. My hus- so you've smoked a pack of cigarettes. No, my husband, <laughs> my husband likes to smoke cigars, and in college, him and his buddies would do this all the time, and so I took, like one puff off of it and then like hacked out my lung and said this right. is disgusting i'm done yeah yeah they are disgusting it takes a certain skill well my neighbor my she's still one of my very good friends but i've known her since i was three <clears throat> um and she used to give me a lot of trouble she's probably a lot like you encouraging me to kiss poles <laughs> I feel like I missed out on some childhood memory that I've never kissed a pole. <laughs> one time she convinced me to sneak into the neighbor's bed of the truck while they drove to the church down the street okay. to an ice cream social, and we weren't allowed to go. But we snuck ourselves into the bed of this truck. So sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, imagine their surprise when we popped out when we got there. <laughs> surprise, I'm here for the ice cream. <laughs> They're like, the hell you are going home. <laughs> I didn't go over it very well. That's just one of many stories. I'm sure I'll bless you with many, many, many of her stories. Anybody else that would really make me feel better? Um, what? Had... Like with embarrassing childhood stories? Yeah, I've had too much wine. Um, oversharing. I love it. It's usually me. I mean, I have lots of stories. I'm just trying to think of one. There was a time when we sat in her older sister's car in the driveway. But we did drive the car. Mm-hmm. But one of us was pushing the pedals and one of us was turning the because we couldn't we couldn't we couldn't see over the wheel oh you were lucky to be alive so <laughs> oh my gosh we did that gosh we did have like one kid in our neighborhood so we lived in a cul-de-sac as a kid and he convinced us that the people who lived across the street from us were like bad guys who had guns and were gonna kill us and all this stuff like scared the pants off of me and my brother i mean my brother a year apart and so we were in 
this friend's house and his backyard when he told us this. And he's like, you guys can't go on the road or else he's going to hunt you down. He's going to get you. He's going to kill you. And we had lived in this house for years and never been afraid of this neighbor until then. So we like hopped fences and went through people's backyards to come like all the way around the cul-de-sac to our house. And we were so scared. I was bawling my eyes out crying because I thought they were chasing us. And my brother's just leading us over fence, over fence. And I'm like, our poor neighbors are watching us just like hop fences (laughs) in and out of their yards. (laughs) Because we were convinced if we went in the street to get to our house, he would kill us. And so we finally got to our um, house and we ran inside our house. And my mom was like vacuuming. Some reason I remember that. And she's like, what is wrong? As we're both, like, crying. hysterical. <laughs> we're like, they're gonna kill us, our neighbors. And my mom was like, you guys are idiots. We're <laughs> neighbor. You didn't do anything wrong. Or maybe he did. Maybe he did. Maybe. I don't know. So, guys, we are doing <laughs> a true crime episode. Yes, we are. Okay. I'm up first tonight, eh? Hey. Hey. Hey, Canadian? Okay. It is me. Is that a hint? No. Okay. (laughs) I didn't think about that. No, 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 no. No? (laughs) I told you mine was Canadian and I was going to be like, wait a second, are you doing the same one as me? It is off limits if Lindsay called it first. I did call Canada. Okay. You called the whole... I called the whole country. All of Canada. Don't do any Canada I call Australia... Oh my gosh, you and Australia. Which we still don't have any listeners, and I'm very disappointed. Y'all, every week, Poison's like, no Australia listeners. She is watching for you, tracking you. Help. Help us out so we don't have to hear about it anymore. (laughs) Yes, please. Give us an Australian listener just Just to listen to the drop bears. Just one. You don't even have to comment if you don't want to. We'll just see you've listened, and we'll be thrilled. Well, one of one of three of us will be thrilled. <laughs> the other two true. will be thrilled because we don't have to listen to it That's anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Make her dreams come true, okay? That's what we're trying to say. All right. Mm-hmm. Here we go. <laughs> this week, I am talking about Charles Albright. Woo! I feel like I've heard of this. I had not. I feel like his name is familiar, but continue. Does this ring a bell? <laughs> Maybe. The eyeball killer? <gasps> you son of a bitch. You did this on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they both knew what the story was and i was the only one who did it you knew it was coming and they were talking about it in the group chat and then boyson was like i'll text you separately and i was like whoa what's happening here why am i being left out now i know why now you know it was a big surprise <sighs> i don't want to listen to this oh you know uh, i hate my life so much <laughs> i would Tons of detail about oh, I mean, I appreciate that, but thank you. But he's also known as the Dallas Ripper. I think that's how I know of him as the Dallas really? Ripper. I don't feel like that's true. I don't know very much. <laughs> I think you just made that up. No. I feel like that's a lie. <laughs> oh, yeah, I totally know that one. I've heard of the Dallas Ripper, but I don't know any details because eyeballs. <laughs> I purposely do not know details, but that's going to change tonight. Okay, well, here we go. Let's all learn about him. So his full name is Charles Frederick Albright. He was born August 10th, 1933. He is a serial killer from Dallas, Texas. And he was actually convicted of killing three prostitutes in 1991. Okay. So he was adopted by Dell and Fred Albright from an orphan's home. And his mother, a school teacher, was very strict and overprotective of him. She accelerated his education, helping him skip two grades. Oh, wow. Apparently he was very so smart. She did all, well, or she did all of his work. 
Oh, made me think about that. Or maybe he's really smart. I don't know. I did. I did listen to part of a podcast about him, and it did say he was very smart in there. But I mean, I don't know. Okay. I feel like most serial killers are fairly intelligent. Yeah, to some degree, I suppose. I mean, is it smart to kill somebody? That's I mean, what I mean. I'm like, no, well. but they elude authorities, and okay. So his criminal career started early, and he was about 13. He was already a petty theft, and he was arrested for aggravated assault. At age 15, he graduated from high school, so that seems mm. fairly early. Did accelerate, yeah. <clears throat> um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't have to get that. Just said, oh, he, he did, did accelerate early. accelerate early. <laughs> he, said uh, he was an accelerated learner. I, <laughs> I was just, using your verb. <laughs> it's just the way you said it. Uh, I'm just like dreading this whole story. <laughs> so I'm just going to comment so that way we She's can get through it. To... To help. Okay. <laughs> he accelerated his way all the way through high school <laughs> at age 15. Um, <laughs> he graduated from high school and then he um, then he forged his way into North Texas University. So we've accelerated and now forged. Oh, forging. Forging. <laughs> forging through. Uh, at 16, police caught him with some petty cash from a cash register, two handguns, and a rifle. He spent a year in jail, and after his release, he attended Arkansas State Teachers College. That's a great career path oh, okay. for him. And he majored in pre-med studies. Hmm. Doctor. Okay. Right. Okay. So, found with t- stolen items, he was expelled from the college before graduation, but not prosecuted. He was unfazed, and he simply falsified his degrees. Hmm. I did hear that that's what he was known for, falsifying lots of documents. Which takes an intelligent person, I feel like, to be able to do that. Well, I mean, clearly he's accelerated through many programs. (laughs) He's accelerated. And forged his way. (laughs) (laughs) He's an accelerator forger. Okay. Not funny, but kind of funny. Okay, so what did I say? He okay, he <laughs> falsified his degrees by stealing the right documents, forging signatures, and giving himself fictitious bachelor's and master's degrees. It's pretty ballsy there. Yeah, it is. He married his college girlfriend and they had a daughter. His wife was a teacher, but he failed to hold a job for long. He continued to cheat by forging checks and claiming false credentials, and he was caught in his deception while teaching at a high school. So, dang, he got a job and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, he always managed to get probation for his illegal acts. In 1965, he and his wife separated, finally divorcing in 1974. He was caught stealing hundreds of dollars worth of merchandise from a hardware store and received a two-year prison sentence. Yet he served less than six months before he was out again. In 1981, after his mother died, he was visiting some friends. He sexually molested their nine-year-old daughter. Ugh. They reported him, and he was prosecuted. He pled guilty and received only probation. Oh, my gosh. Okay, cool. Can I just say I'm, like, living for your commentary? Keep it up. Thank you. I mean, like, he steals all this. You are the hype man of this night. (laughs) I'm like, okay, cool. He stole, like, all this merchandise and gets two years of prison. Molests a nine-year-old girl. Oh, you're just going to get some probation. Oh, I know. That makes sense. It's some bullshit. Violent versus (laughs) nonviolent crimes. Love it. Prison system. Okay, continue. (laughs) Just met, you're making me really feel really good. Thank you. I know. I try. I like go to, and then she's already talked. I'm like, okay, I'll just sip my wine. I love it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> in 1985, he met a woman named Dixie in Arkansas. 
he invited her to come live with him and it wasn't long before she was paying his bills and supporting him sugar mama that's right he knows what's up he took a paper route in the early morning that seems like some steady income <laughs> uh, apparently to visit prostitutes without raising his wife's suspicions Creep. whoa so december 13th 1990 mary lou pratt she was 35 she was a well-known prostitute in the Oak Cliff neighborhood in Dallas. Her body was found lying face up, and she was wearing only a t-shirt. She was shot in the back of the head with a forty-four caliber bullet. Is that how I say that? Point four four. No, you're right. Forty-four. Is it? Obviously, I don't shoot many guns. You don't kill very many people. I don't kill very many people. <laughs> I don't kill people, but I shoot some guns and, and forty-four <laughs> cows. Correct. Okay, listen to you. I'm so happy. Forty-four cow, little linga. So I, I was making caliber too long. I need to no caliber is great. Okay, you would probably seem like you're trying too hard if you said cow. Oh, I wouldn't then know. I'm definitely I wouldn't know what cow would be. <laughs> It'd be like calories. What? <laughs> it's one of those things that you hear, like in, uh, you know, true crime. Was it a full metal jacket, hollow tip? What okay. was it? Okay. Okay, proceed. I know nothing. I um, Let me remind you that I didn't know what a damn elk was. Okay. <laughs> I'm I ignorant. I don't kiss <laughs> poles and I don't shoot guns. You guys, we have elks in Kansas City. I saw I them this it. weekend. Like out in the wild? I need you to take a picture of Yeah, one. yeah. Okay, well, I did. They're on the camera that's behind me. Um oh. And they're at the, God bless it, what was that like? They're out by a lake. It's not Longview. It's, I want to say Blue Springs Lake, maybe. Okay. You just drive around, and there's suddenly all these signs that have pictures of buffalo on them. Well, I thought they were buffalo. Apparently, they were bison. (laughs) And so, eventually, you come up to this fence. I should know the difference. Wildlife is not our forte. Don't even come at us. We've been getting a lot of heat for the whole Beanie Mansion not knowing what the animal was. We know. It's a cow. Also, by the time we got to Beanie Mansion, just heads up, we were several margaritas in deep. And first wine. I don't know if that was obvious by the recording. It was way more than four white claw deep. That's for sure. <laughs> so much wheeze. <laughs> I am four deep, you guys. We've had so much to drink. I am four deep. <laughs> guys, find yourself some friends who remind you of your embarrassing drunken moments and hold on to them. Cherish them forever. Those are true <laughs> friends who remind you of what a drunken idiot you are. So anyway, out by a lake somewhere around here is a fenced-in area with signs for bison. And you pull up to it, and I didn't happen to see a bison. I was really looking forward to that. But there were these strange-looking animals, which the sign said were um, elk in something, which might clarify it and said that they were mating. Oh. And you saw them and took pictures of them. Yes, with okay. my camera. It's like private time. So now we know what an elk is. Now I have seen one. I will show you pictures later, at a later time. Turns well, out I've seen many of them, but I was in Colorado when I saw them. I wouldn't expect to see one hanging on a wall in St. Joe. St. Joe Mo. St. Joe Mo. Anyhow. <laughs> oh, elk in rut. R-U-T. Yeah, like they're know. not in a rut; they're in rut. Like, <laughs> no, do, are, ruddy rut, rut, rut. Oh, 
get it. What? Oh. <laughs> My oh. mind was somewhere else. But they're in a rut. They're sad. No, it's not like rut row. It's rut row. Whoa. <laughs> brown chicken wow wow? That's yes. what yeah. Brown <laughs> chicken brown cow. That's what it was. Brown chicken brown cow. <laughs> okay, so I'm back to the 44 cow. Okay, yeah, sorry. How did we get into the elf? <laughs> I'm cool now. <laughs> Soup's cool. 44 cal bullet. Okay, shot. Yes. So the medical examiner discovered that the killer had removed both eyes <laughs> without making much of a mark on the eyelids <laughs> and apparently had taken them with him. Of course he did. Trophies. <laughs> I'm like, so right now, guys, I'm covering my eyes. <laughs> I can't. Are you trying to save your own I'm eyes? I'm saving my own eyes. <laughs> Just a quick background. Sarah didn't have, she was super busy this week and didn't have time to prepare a story. So I gave her an offline suggestion and I knew full well what I was suggesting. And Boyd's this the mastermind is, behind all of this. <laughs> this is why I'm enjoying myself a lot right now. Yeah, you also know full well that I saw and I was like, yep. <laughs> yep, that's perfect. <laughs> Partners in friends who remind you of your drunken weaknesses and then also take what grosses you out and terrifies you more than anything and talk about it. Take Team advantage of you, you yes. <clears throat> yes. It's fine. It's a Sarah thing. Oh, the Sarah Club's back. <laughs> okay, anyhow. All right, moving trophies, on. Trophies, trophies. Trophies. You took the eyeballs as trophies. So February 10th, 1991, Susan Peterson a prostitute, was found nearly nude. I think they're called sex workers. It says prostitute. We can, we can edit. You can you can edit your words that come out of your mouth. I Okay. I'm just saying what they wrote. Okay. We know them as sex workers, but this uh, article says prostitutes. Please don't take offense. Is that? Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Let me try that again. Susan Peterson, a sex worker, mm-hmm. was found nearly nude with her... So am I okay to say all this stuff? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, She was found nearly nude with her t-shirt pulled up to display her breasts in the same manner as Pratt. She'd been shot three times in the top of the head, in the left breast, and point blank in the back of the head. One bullet had pierced her heart and another entered her brain. Hmm. A clump of hair lay on her chest, and she'd been dumped in South Dallas just outside the city limits. And the medical examiner found that this victim bore another grisly similarity. Her eyes had also been surgically removed. I feel like this is overkill, like shooting yeah. them several times. And then removing the eyeballs? Well, I mean, I'm ignoring this whole part for the <laughs> sake of my own sanity, but... With surgical precision? Like he shoot, shot intact. them through the heart and then shot through, through the brain. Shot through the heart! There you go. And then through the brain... <laughs> Darling. One of those one of those shots is gonna kill you. These eyeballs are I've mine got to go. <laughs> Gosh, I love you guys so much. <laughs> okay. Oh. Make it be known the only reason why we emphasize so much on the eyeballs. I'm gonna Lindsay apologize to John Bon Jovi right now for us mutilating that song. I thought it was a lovely version. <laughs> Thank you. I have uh, not been vocally trained. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I have too busy kissing many balls. many years. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, I laughed at first, but then I, I actually heard what you said. <laughs> That's payback. It actually goes back to my uh, crippling social anxiety that I couldn't sing in front of anybody, but She's it's She's going to immediately shut down. It's over. Podcast is done. <laughs> Remember that time you called me socially competent for once? That I did? That still hurts. Yeah. Wait, when? What? Oh, well, you were both drunk. Um, <laughs> okay. I said that? 
When was this? So we had all been drinking, and I was talking more than I normally talk. Yes, I remember this. And Lindsay's like, wow, you're socially competent whenever you drink. And I was like, oh, God. (laughs) Wow. Ghost. We were at Beatty. Yeah, we, we, were. we were at Beatty Mansion, and she was just like, <laughs> I do not remember that. And I was sober. I don't remember anything. What the fuck is wrong with me? She was talking a lot, which I mean, okay. I mean, if anybody knows me, I actually don't, unless I have something to say, and then I say it, and then I continue not talking. Maybe, right. maybe it's because I I know you to talk a lot. Like I, you talk a lot. I've with talked us. to you a lot. Yes, yes, yes. You talk a lot. With I've us. never known you to That's not be a talkative person. That's what I meant by that. I didn't mean I was like joking with you. <laughs> Sorry. I heard you were socially incompetent when you do not drink. <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry. That's how I would take it. Boys, and I'm sorry if that hurt your feelings. You were not socially incompetent. You brought her back to her six year old ego. <laughs> you really <I> did. <laughs> I did not know about Standing your... in front of the damn corp carport. I did oh. not know about the six year old in the pole. So I'm sorry if that hurt your feelings. Low blow. Low blow. Okay. <laughs> March 18th, 1991. Shirley Williams was a part time sex worker. Mm-hmm. She was found. Um, Naked, lying on her side near school with her eyes removed also. She also had facial bruises and a broken nose, and she had been shot through the top of her head and in the face. So, very similar. He's really going for the kill shot. Yeah. He likes what he likes, I guess. March 22nd, 1991, after the murder of Shirley Williams, witnesses came forward and told police about Albright. He was arrested in his home after that. So, trial began December 13th of 1991. The prosecution suffered many blows, and their case seemed circumstantial at best. I mean, wouldn't that be just par for his course? Seems like he gets away with basically everything that he does. Um, The only evidence that was solid was the forensic evidence. Harris found at Williams' murder scene matched Albright, so that seems pretty... Seems pretty convincing. Convincing, yeah. Yeah. On December 18th, 1991, the jury had already deliberated and found Charles Albright guilty. He was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Shirley Williams, Mary Lou Pratt, and Susan Peterson, which is actually kind of interesting because I thought they usually just try to get them on one. I mean, if they have the evidence to convict him on all three. Yeah, and actually that's interesting because other sources for that story right, will say that's what I'm saying. that um, Shirley Williams is the only one he was actually convicted on. Yeah. Um, not actually all three. So. Yeah. But it is interesting, though, because they keep saying he was a possible serial killer because he was only convicted of one. But then they say he was actually convicted of three. I'm not sure. Right. I'll follow I, up on that. Yeah. Circle back. I believe that he was only convicted for Shirley Williams, and his the M.O. for that is really consistent with the other two, mm-hmm. and so they just couldn't find enough evidence to convict him on those, and he didn't conv- confess, probably, um, and so that's why he is a possible-slash-probable serial killer, um, but not confirmed. What did he do with the eyeballs? I don't know. Do you know what he did with the eyeballs? Mm-mm. He just really liked eyeballs. Oh, I did hear this. When he was in college, mm-hmm. he taught himself how to paint. Um, kind of became fascinated with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he drew or he painted a picture of a woman for her his neighbor. His, it was the neighbor's wife. <laughs> This story's great already, I can tell. <laughs> Follow with me, though. You're doing a great job. He painted everything except for the eyeballs. And when the neighbor asked about it, he said, where are our eyes? And he was like, I'll get to it when I want to. 
I don't like him. He's so creepy. I don't like Yeah, this. and there was another time that his college roommate said that um, he found a whole bunch of pictures of his girlfriend, the roommate, saying this. He found pictures of his girlfriend with the eyeballs cut out and every picture of her, her, her face with the eyeballs cut out. I hope that the eyeballs were cut out at least after they were dead. I don't know. I don't know the answer I'm going to pretend that. like they were. I'm going to pretend like they were for my own peace of mind. Because that literally seems like the most excruciating, horrible thing. I would have to agree with that, I think. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Point being is that he had a fascination with eyeballs early on. This is great. You guys are great. Thank you so much for that story. I hope I never have to hear about that again. With extreme precision. So when I'm listening back through this podcast, um, I'm going to skip this entire section. (laughs) (laughs) What? Here's a great piece from Texas Monthly. Charles spent hours on his taxidermy courses, stuffing and mounting his birds, making them look as lifelike as possible. Then he would be ready for the crowning touch the eyes he used to go to a taxidermy shop and stare at the boxes and boxes full of gloriously fake eyes owl eyes eagle eyes deer eyes he loved their iridescent gleam how do you feel about this i hate all of this so much (laughs) all right boydston where are we traveling to we are traveling to south croatia you... Is that joke dead yet? Because I don't feel like I it feel is. like it is on my end. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I quite enjoy it. <laughs> so no, we're traveling to Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Ooh, we haven't been there yet. You're right. I know. Specifically Philadelphia. Tight. The city of brotherly love. And bells. And the Liberty Bell, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> One bell. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> just trying to hype you up over here. It's fine. We know a lot about Philadelphia. <laughs> well, this is where the one bell. With what the did you call it? The Mutter Museum. The cheesesteaks. Oh yeah, yeah, I call it the Mutter Museum. She calls it the Mutter. Oh, Museum. this is the medical. Either way, history. I think it's fine. Museum. My yeah. my dream museum. Let's go. Resides here. Okay, we're gonna chat about Ira Einhorn, aka the Unicorn Killer. Ooh, I do oh. not know her. Um, he get out of here! Dang, dang it. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't know it was it was sure. an either or. I took a guess and I was wrong. I'm sorry. You could say then. So just to clarify, a little um, a little disclaimer for Got any it? animal rights activists um, concerned that this is a story on the slayings of unicorns. It's it's not. Don't worry. He's not a real unicorn killer. No, but um, narwhals do, and they're essentially unicorns. In the sea. Haven't you ever seen Harry Potter? Sea unicorns? <laughs> Einhorn is German for unicorn, and like all cool people I know, he gave himself a nickname of the unicorn. Um, uh, who else do you know who gives themselves nicknames? No. People. <laughs> okay. Um, all people. All the cool people. <laughs> all the cool Spoiler alert, he Obviously kills not. somebody <laughs> and thus becomes the unicorn killer. Oh, okay, okay. So he didn't kill unicorns, he is just the unicorn killer. Hmm, because he well, called himself the unicorn. And he killed somebody. Okay. Okay, I'm with you. Gotcha. Took me a minute to get there. This is All misleading, right. but I got it. That's why I was confused. I know. Okay. That's why I needed to put a disclaimer so that nobody was concerned and we could just clarify all at once. 
Okay. Thank you. We are on the train. Got it. Ira Samuel Einhorn was born May 15th, 1940 to a middle-class Jewish family um, and had a pretty non-noteworthy childhood compared to most of the people that we cover. However, by his 20s, he was noted to be instantly recognizable as Philadelphia's head hippie. Ooh, that's a neat <laughs> title. I wish I could do that. <laughs> was that also a self, <clears throat> self-given self title? I don't think so. I am for, from here on out the head hippie. <laughs> so this was in the 60s, and he had become what was described as a left-wing radical and a symbol of the youth-driven movement against the United States and their involvement in the Vietnam War. Um, At that time, he was a large, burly man with electric blue eyes and an unkempt beard, and he seldom washed or bathed. Sounds like a hippie. Mm. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Yet, for some reason, people flocked to him, and he was able to draw in many important and even famous people to the cause for freedom and peace. Charming persona. Mm-hmm. Charismatic. That's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm. Einhorn's girlfriend of five years, Holly Maddox, was originally from Tyler, Texas, and described as beautiful and gracefully delicate. She was a blue-eyed nice. former cheerleader and an nice. excellent student in college before she turned her energy to the women's liberation movement. Um, The fact that Einhorn was one of the political icons of their day is what drew her to him originally. So we currently know Einhorn as an advocate for peace and nonviolence, but he ended up treating Holly poorly, which he had a history of doing with his past girlfriends as well. It escalated to physical abuse as it had in the past. He smashed a soda bottle against a girlfriend's head. and even attempted to strangle another. Okay. And Holly wasn't having any of it, so she moved to New York. She got into a relationship with a very kind man, a very gentle man, and his name was Saul. Good for Holly. Saul. 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 Better call Saul. Like Saul. She did call Saul. She called Saul. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. She called Saul, and then she called Einhorn to break up with him. Oh. Oh. So she called Saul first. I see. Yeah. Einhorn was enraged. He demanded that she come back to Philly to get her things before he threw them all out onto the street. And she had some sentimental items. So she left for Philly on September 9th of 1977. I don't like where this is going. Yeah. Her family quickly became worried when they stopped hearing from her and then knew something had to be wrong when her mother's birthday came and went without even a phone call from Holly. So they called the police. Einhorn was questioned and he simply told the police that Holly had left the apartment to go to the neighborhood co-op to buy some tofu and some sprouts and she never returned. Mm-hmm. So he claimed ignorance, and the police left him alone. No, oh, of course, because it's never the husband or the significant other. Or the enraged ex-boyfriend. Never. So they left it's him alone until almost 20 months later, Oh my gosh! after her disappearance, 
Um, when Einhorn's downstairs neighbor complained of a putrid smelling brown liquid leaking from the floorboards into their kitchen. Okay, that's worse than eyeballs. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's not, but it's still gross. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Brown liquid (laughs) leaking through Eyeballs being cut out of their sockets. No, it's it's not worse. It's pretty bad. I can totally handle eyeballs. I cannot handle somebody's decomposing body coming down onto my kitchen. Oozing through, being like, you know, no. That doesn't smell great. Something's wrong, right? So they reported this because it wasn't normal. And detectives found Holly's suitcase, her handbag, her driver's license, and her social security card in a closet. So they never even searched his place. When they were looking for her and questioned him. It no, she like went it. out to get some tofu and sprouts and never came back. Oh my that gosh. Was a likely story. Um, oh, and please. in the closet with all of her stuff in it was a large trunk. And so in the trunk they found the partially mummified body of Holly. Poor Holly. There it is. Her body was packed in styrofoam, air fresheners, and newspaper. Air fresheners. Um, get that. Get out of here with that. Rid of the body after 20 months. No. Guys, number one rule. Bodies start to stink real fast. That's why I okay, buy air fresheners. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't be, a, <laughs> you don't have to be a serial killer to know that dead bodies stink. Oh, that just makes me sad. Poor Holly. Well, even more sad is the remains of her body weighed only 37 pounds. Oh. Was Post-mortem exam revealed that Holly had suffered trauma to the head and that her skull was smashed in several places. However, the position of the body and the size of the trunk meant that she had been alive and semi-conscious. Conscious. Conscious? Conscious. (laughs) You got it. You got it. Semi-conscious. Overthinking. (laughs) When placed in the trunk and had died trying to claw her way out. Oh, no. That's the worst. Yeah. Okay. Again, ten times worse than eyeballs. For sure. I mean, worse, but not, like, grosser. Grosser is eyeballs. Grosser is also not a word. (laughs) (laughs) Denied. Okay, Webster. Denied. (laughs) Um, Einhorn was obviously arrested and charged with the murder of Holly, and reportedly he simply shrugged and said, you found what you found. Oh my gosh, what a butthead. Right. So the story doesn't end here. He was represented by notorious defense attorney Arlen Spector, who was able to successfully argue at the bail hearing for the bail to be set at a strangely, strangely low sum of $40,000, of which only 10%, so $4,000, had to be paid in cash to secure the release of Einhorn. So he only had to pay... $4,000 $4,000 to get out on bail. Which is nothing. For the murder of Holly. Right. It, Damn it. I know. It's, it was unheard of for bail to be granted in murder cases, and he, he had friends in high places from his political days, um, and they came through with bail money, and he was released. Oh, my gosh. He told anyone that would listen that he would clear his name and that this was a conspiracy by the CIA or the FBI. That they just planted a, a dead body in his... Yeah, in, okay. an, in an effort to discredit him on his political activities. Right. Yes, that sounds like something they would do. Right, for sure. Shockingly, on the eve of the pretrial hearing, Einhorn disappeared. What? He... What? Mm-mm. He fled the country to Europe. I'm sure on his own money, too. 
Nope. Where he spent 17 to 23 years escaping justice. 17 to 23 years? Yeah. Buckle in for this story. Butthead. He was first traced to Dublin, living under the name Ben Moore. Oh, clever. Clever. (laughs) It's not an unusual name. Or, you know, if you like to paint. Oh. Okay, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I know, Benjamin I, Moore. Gotcha. I was, it took me too long. I was, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking it's a really common name. Well, I mean, that too. You're right. Um, but with no extradition paperwork in effect, it gave Einhorn or Moore time to flee. Um, from there, it's said that he probably traveled throughout the UK, crossed the English Channel, and at some point he entered continental Europe. Um, in 1993, while Einhorn was at large, tucked away in Europe... Philadelphia tried him in abstentia. So, in absence. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know what that is. Is that a place? It's Latin. <laughs> <laughs> we can barely understand English, okay? Uh, here's your Latin lesson. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So, Thanks, they Stephen. tried him in absentia, and he was convicted of the murder of Holly and sentenced to life in prison. Yeah, but they gotta find him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, the next year, a tip led investigators to a Stockholm address where Einhorn was residing. It came back to an Anika Flodden, who said that she didn't know of Einhorn, that she knew of knew him as Ben Moore, and she had knew, no idea where he was. Anika then disappeared, and her name was run through Interpol, and it was discovered that she had relocated to France and married Einhorn, uh-huh. who was now no longer Einhorn or Benmore, but Eugene Mallon. There it was. Mm. Um, so they found him. He was arrested in a beautiful village in the French countryside near Cognac. Okay. He was just enjoying the, the wine country. Wine country. So this is also not the end of the story. Of course God, not. This, this is, is like, too Catch easy. me if you can. Uh, it gets twisted. In an effort to fight the extradition, Einhorn enlisted the services of an attorney and international law expert named Ted Simon. And so this is where it get got technical and was just kind of a lot, and I had to dumb it down for myself. And Which you know means you had to dumb it down for us. Even more. <laughs> yes, you are welcome. <laughs> Thank you. But it really is an interesting... Um, story and if you're interested i recommend looking into the details of the case further here is the summary lessons so remember that philadelphia tried einhorn in abstentia right and he was found guilty in life in jail yep convicted him of murder sentenced to life in prison with you apparently there are established rules of the european convention of human rights to which france is a party and an active defender and remember, France is where Einhorn was located at the time of extradition. Right. Cognac. So the rules of this European Convention of Human Rights deny the legitimacy of trials in abstentia, especially when the maximum sentence is life in prison. Mm. Apparently, in these countries, trials in abstentia deny the suspect of the right to the to defend themselves in court and take away the presumption of innocence. So essentially... They can't enter a plea because they're not there, mm-hmm. and so it's not an innocent until proven guilty. They're mm-hmm. just assumed that they're guilty. I was wondering about that, because America's founded on the same thing. Innocent until proven guilty. How can you try someone who's not there to plead their case? Right, and so that's essentially what these rules are founded on. 
Okay. Also, under the same set of rules, France is prevented from deporting or extraditing anyone within its borders to a country where they are not guaranteed a fair trial. So since he was already sentenced, he would have no recourse to a new trial and would have to be imprisoned immediately upon arrival back to American soil. Mm-hmm. Additionally... Einhorn was not sentenced to death, but his attorneys argued that he could face the death penalty if he were returned to the U.S. And France, like many countries that have abolished the the death penalty, um, does not extradite defendants to jurisdictions that retain the death penalty without assurance that it will be neither sought nor applied. Um, But Pennsylvania authorities pointed out that When the murder occurred, the state did not practice the death penalty, so Einhorn couldn't be executed. So that wasn't an issue. But everything else that they had listed previously gave France enough precedence to deny the extradition, and he was released. Nice. So. Hmm. This is one... Lucky? I mean, is lucky the right word? Mm. The following Mm -hmm. month... (laughs) Pennsylvania passed a new law that granted previously tried and condemned men a new trial. Ah, loophole. Mm, loophole. Einhorn was re-arrested <gasps> and a new extradition hearing commenced. His lawyer this time argued several points related to the American Constitution and this new law. And it basically all boils down to the fact that a lawmaking body can never direct a court to change its judgment, nor can it direct a retrial. He also argued that the law was made solely for this cause, and it was even called Einhorn Law. Oh, gosh. They and weren't subtle about it at all. <laughs> not, not in the slightest. And he said that a law should not target a specific person. So the French court declared itself incompetent to hear arguments relating to the constitutionality of foreign laws. So it went to the French prime minister who eventually agreed to extradition. He apparently received a lot of criticism and people accused him of succumbing to political pressure from America. Especially after it was discovered that then-President Clinton had personally intervened. So Einhorn's lawyers appealed to the highest French court of law while his wife sought the support of several human rights organizations, but the appeal failed, and after the decision was announced, Einhorn publicly slit his throat in front of TV cameras. Oh my gosh. He used a butter knife and suffered little damage. Oh gosh. Okay. Not gonna, yeah. Not gonna do much damage to the butter knife, buddy. He was returned to Pennsylvania in 2001 to stand trial for the murder of Holly Maddox. The trial was relatively straightforward, and the prosecution had a lot of circumstantial evidence and even had Einhorn read portions of his diary out loud, which gave insight into his violent and misogynistic character. The defense tried to have the trial dismissed, citing the Einhorn law as unconstitutional, violating the protection against double jeopardy, which means being tried twice for the same crime. Mm -hmm. But the judge refused to hear arguments on the constitutionality of the trial. He just wasn't having it. Yeah, he's probably like, I'm tired of this. Right. Einhorn took the stand in his own defense, claiming that Holly had been killed by CIA agents who framed him for the crime because he knew too much about the agency's paranormal military research. He's had how many years to think of a plea and a defense? 
And right. that's what he comes up with. But paranormal military really, research. really sticking to it. We've come full circle for our podcast. Oh, Yay. look at that. <laughs> Um, Einhorn was officially found guilty of the murder of Holly Maddox in 2002 and sentenced to life in prison without parole. He was incarcerated at Houtsdale State Prison in Pennsylvania and then Pennsylvania State Correctional Institution in Laurel Highlands until his death on April 3rd, 2020. And as you know, and I was curious too, uh, it was reported to be um, from natural causes and not from COVID. (laughs) I was very intrigued. Thank you. Well, I mean, I just figured, really? April 3rd, 2020? I just figured, oh, that's really recent. I mean, I was thinking it was recent. I wasn't. I should be thinking, yeah. I'm sure somebody else might have thought of that. And you're welcome for the information. It was not COVID. Sorry that this podcast is an escape from COVID for me. (laughs) Uh, Mm. So that's pretty much the end of it. It's it's really, I mean, Holly lost her life. And that sad, the whole rigmarole with you know, escaping to Europe and the French uh, government going round and round. And I mean, really, his his lawyers made fair arguments. But, you know, in the meantime, Holly's parents just want justice for the, her daughter. And right. Fred, her father, killed himself in 88. Aww. Her mom, Elizabeth, died of emphysema in 1990. So they didn't even see him get convicted. They didn't see her killer come to... It, they didn't see any justice. Sad. It, yeah, and it is sad. What a douchebag. Right. Unicorn so killer. that is self-proclaimed the unicorn Get out of here. killer Ira Einhorn. He's giving a bad name to unicorns everywhere, but yeah. not narwhals. It's very twisty, turny. It is. It is. You think it's going to end, and then it doesn't, and then you, you think like. Oh, well, he's going to be taken back to America, but it's actually not that easy to get somebody extradited, apparently. He actually came back and ended up getting convicted, but it took long enough. Right. Goodness gracious. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Fascinating. Nice one. Oh, thank you. You traveled all over. You said Philadelphia, but you went to France and... I mean, the murder happened in Philly. Yeah, that's true. True that. So I'm going to Canada, guys. Canada. Canada. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do a little, this is about a cult leader. I Very interesting. like some cults. Yes. So this Me is going to be a little long because I go into a lot of the stuff with the cult. And I'm going to do my disclaimer, like Bob the Butcher. This is going to be a very graphic story because okay. he was very deranged and... I understand completely. Very gory and graphic. So Trig- Trigger warning. Cult 45 and two zigzags. Okay. But, nope. Proceed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know what that was. <gasps> Stop it. You are such a sheltered person. Do you know what that was? Is this a song? <laughs> how do you guys not know that? No, I don't know that, honestly. I was not sheltered at all. You... I don't know it. Okay, sorry. So this is on Rosh. Ashana? No. Sorry, Stop go it. for it. <laughs> I found two ways to pronounce his name, and I really don't know. So I'm going to say it one way, and guys, if I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay. Terrio, and I've heard it pronounced Theralt, so we're just going to call him Rosh, because I know that's how it's pronounced. Um, so he was born May 16th, 1947, to Hyacinth and Pierriette. He was the second of seven children and was the eldest son. Um, at the age of six, he was known um, pretty well. His family said that he liked to play with wild bears. Yeah, you know, just... I, I don't time. know. It sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> I don't know what parents are letting their children play with wild bears. <laughs> they knew this? 
Hey, mom, but, go on out to play with the bears. Canada, let us know if this later. is a thing. <laughs> it probably is in Canada. <laughs> They're so kind. Those are the ones that grow up to be Mounties. Right. Everybody's there. Everybody's nice there. Even yeah. The bears. <laughs> <Even> the bears. <laughs> <laughs> they say, oops, excuse me. <laughs> so the town school only went up to seventh grade, so that's the <laughs> highest grade that he completed, but he was said to be highly intelligent. Mm. Um, His mother was very religious and a member of a Catholic fascist offshoot of the Depression era movement. So because of this, he developed a hatred for Catholicism and organized religion. He was described as craving of attention, intelligent, and having a penchant for charisma and showmanship. Sounds like a Mm. cult leader in the making, y'all. The charisma. So he married uh, Francine Grenier on November 11th, 1967. They moved to Montreal and they had two sons. It was during this time that he started developing some severe ulcers and he had to have surgery and then had complications and had to have more surgery. And this led to him becoming obsessed with medicine. So he mm. taught himself about anatomy and how sure. to perform various procedures okay i have an idea Uh Mm uh-huh so he then around this time also became involved in municipal politics joined some groups and used this as a personal platform for a parody of catholicism okay he also acquired an interest in sexuality and drinking why do you keep adding t's to your words sexuality sexuality (laughs) sexuality you said another word that had a T in it that didn't have a T. And, and then... drinking. No. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. You okay. Ahead. I'm moving, everyone. Ugh. Pardon me. Where are you moving to? <laughs> <laughs> End of this chair. <laughs> he began to go out on weekends. He was carrying on several affairs with women that he met in other cities. He ran into some financial difficulties, had his house repossessed, and his wife finally left him. So he took up with one of the women that he had met during one of the affairs. Her name is Giselle. They are discovering the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and he became their most devoted follower. Started following their nutritional guidelines, which were pretty strict. He quit drinking. His enthusiasm for God's work began to unsettle the other Adventists. I can't say that. Adventists. <laughs> you nailed it. Thanks. And his, bo- <laughs> his boastfulness irritated those because they're like dude he's only got a seventh grade education what does he know yeah he became obsessed with the old testament with its strict codes of masculine authority and also was obsessed with the apocalypse so he was going around selling literature door to door to make money by 1977 he had about 10 followers and they were all like 18 to 24 years old so real young kids who were just gullible Mm. So they would hang around his apartment that he shared with Giselle. Um, He encouraged them all to drop out of college because Jesus was coming back soon. So what's the point of going to college? I mean, (laughs) makes sense. (laughs) So the ministers and the pastors of the church are like getting a little concerned here because all of the youth are more attracted to him than they are to the church. They're like, they like you because of what you're preaching, but not like the church and what the religion is. They didn't like that. They didn't like that. They were concerned. Um, so he started basically a doomsday cult and mm-hmm. went by the name of Moses. So he gave everybody in his cult Old Testament biblical names. And so he changed his name to Moses. Or that's what he went by. I don't think he legally changed it. He had, you know, these 10 people. He had a reputation as a healer. We're going to put that in quotations, y'all. Self-proclaimed. Yeah, self-proclaimed healer. So they opened a healthy living clinic in Santa Maria, or Santa Marie, sorry. 
which was an alternative medicine venue where you can get organic foods and holistic treatment. And this is kind of how he made money to attract followers. One of the patrons sold all his worldly possessions to fund the clinic and moved in with his family. So he was getting more followers. All of the women wanted him. They were drawn <laughs> to him. Giselle got jealous, so she proposed to him. No. He agreed a week later, made her wait like a gentleman. <laughs> I, need, I really need to think about that first. <laughs> and they were married January 8th, 1978. They did not have a honeymoon, and he continued to entertain all of the other women's affections. So he wasn't like cheating on her like he was with his first wife, but he also wasn't discouraging these women. Okay. So the church tried to approach the parents of the women who were following him to be like, hey, talk to your child and see if you can get them to come back home, basically. But they were too into Roche, uh, Rosh, sorry, to leave him. So it didn't go well. One woman, Geraldine Auclair, came to the, his clinic in March 1978. She had leukemia. Her husband was a supporter of him and brought her to him. Um, and he convinced her to take, or he convinced her husband to take her out of the hospital where she was receiving treatment and even got into a screaming match with her doctors about the amount of medications they had her on. So his treatment for her was grape juice and organic foods for her leukemia. Perfect. She was 38 years old and died shortly afterwards. Man, that's sad. So he told his followers that he had gone into her room, kissed her, and she awakened from death. But then he said, you know, when God wants people, he takes them. It was Geraldine's time. Okay. Might have been her time because he took her off all her medications and gave her grape juice, but... What do I know? Um, April 1978, shortly after that, he is voted out of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Mm, He got pissed, of course, and decided to marry some of his followers together, despite that he did not have any authority to perform marriages and that his followers had expressed no interest in marrying each other. Man, I didn't know they could vote you out of church. (laughs) He got voted out of the church. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Spring 1978, shortly after this, Giselle becomes pregnant and feels rejected by lack of the attention because he's into all the other women. So she gives him an ultimatum. She says, either you break up the commune and tell everyone to go find their own house to live in, because they're all still living with him, or I'm going to move back in with my father and leave you and taking my child with me. His response was to hit her in the mouth and forbid her from leaving their room for two days straight. Mm. Asshole. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Spoiler alert, she stayed. A couple months later in June, their clinic has several outstanding debts. They're under police investigation because of Geraldine's death, the woman who died from leukemia under his watch. And they're being cut off from resources because the church cut them out. Mm. So they move to the hills of Loch Sec, which is called Dry Lake, and he named the hill Eternal Mountain. So he had a vision here that the world would end February 17th, 1979. It didn't. Mm. It did not happen. Are you sure? <laughs> are, are we still alive? What's uh, happening? Was I born? <laughs> None of us were born then. Um, I put in my notes that obviously did not happen. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you clarified. Thank, Thank you. you. You're welcome. Uh, Mystery he, solved. <laughs> he said that the world would end with a storm of boulder-sized hail, earthquakes, and lightning. What about covid Oh, he did not see COVID coming. Oh, (laughs) and moths. I can't, I can't, I can't think about end of the world stuff. It's my (laughs) kryptonite. So, oh, I didn't know you. I know you're kryptonite. (laughs) Oh 
man, guys, like, get ready for next week. Murder Hornets. <laughs> 2012. I can't watch any of those. Um, what's that oh, one? So Independence Day. I can't watch that. Oh, man. It will give me huh. absolute terrible nightmares and take my anxiety to a, a 20. Wow. You're okay. welcome. Payback is coming. Now it's going to be know. so sweet for the eyeball killer. I feel like you can talk yourself off a ledge. Like, I will continue thinking about the end of the world. <laughs> That's how I feel about aliens a little bit when I start overthinking aliens. I get a little, I get a little stressed out. Oh, look, at, guys, we're just learning all about each other's weaknesses. <laughs> I didn't know Independence Day was your kryptonite. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> hmm. 2012, like the movie with Dennis Quaid. I refuse to watch it because I know what it's about. For years, I would, I was <laughs> counting. Day is really scary. I was counting down to that December whatever 2012 for oh. years. And I was like, oh my God, the world's ending. Like, I haven't done this. I haven't done this. I haven't done this. The world did not end. It didn't. Yeah. It didn't. Yeah. So, anyways, back to Rosh. <laughs> so, Rosh um, is having them build a new commune because they just moved, remember? He has them all wearing uniforms and working 17 hours a day to build this commune. Man. But his stomach pains prevented him from participating in all this labor. Mm. I'm sorry, I, I can't. I can't work. My stomach hurts too bad. <laughs> I got the shits. I can't do it. <laughs> I gotta take a shit. Okay. <laughs> he rationed all their food, and if anyone complained about hunger, he would punish them by restricting their rations. Oh, okay. So he um, lost a few followers through this because, of course, he did. He did not stop them from leaving, but he made it very clear that they were doing evil in the eyes of God if they left him. Because he was the new prophet, Moses. So September 1978, his new commune is done. Uh, gave them all biblical names, like I said. Called himself Moses because he was the leader of the exodus from the depraved modern world. Mm. So they, the way they're making money now is all these people have welfare checks that they're getting. So he's just collecting all their welfare checks and using it for himself. Whoa. Interesting. A little FYI there. Fun fact. So around this time, one of the women says, hey... Is that your sexy voice? (laughs) It's her bedtime voice. It's making a comeback. Okay. She says to the rest of the members, I had sex with Rosh. (laughs) Oh, I see. I see now why you had the bedroom (laughs) voice. Because it was a bedroom voice. (laughs) So Giselle, who's still pregnant with his kid, she's six months pregnant, by the way, is pissed. Mm. Sure. Mm -hmm. So she confronts him and she's like, dude, what the hell? He pulls her down and squeezed his hands around her throat. So she feared for her life and again agreed to stay with him. Oh, that's sad. So he, at this point, just starts taking several wives okay, because he's like, do. yeah, you know, they're all going to be my wives. So he declared all commune marriages void and began marrying the women off to himself and then ended up fathering 22 children with the women. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a lot of kids. So, based on testimony from former cult members, he was described as delusional and believed that he could do miracles. So, around this time, we're in November 1978, the Jonestown Massacre happens. You guys are familiar with the Jonestown Massacre, right? The Kool-Aid. Yeah. This is happening in the world, so he becomes (laughs) very interested in this story, but cults are now on the media's mind, so the family begins to renew attempts to get in contact and get their family members back, because they're worried, what if they're going to do a mass suicide, too? Sure. Um, The police wanted to take him into custody, but they lacked any evidence of him being dangerous because Giselle wasn't willing to tell them anything. Mm. He did willingly go through psychological evaluation. He claimed the commune was a democracy and they lived in peace without promiscuity. He left out all the stuff about the polygamy, the abuse, and the food rationing. 
about the 22 kids or yeah. anything. Okay, whatever. Yeah, left all that out. Okay. Um, the, th- the authorities knew that he was delusional, but they had no proof, so they had sure. to release him. Man. So at this point, to get money, he's prostituting the women out to a grocer from food um, and began drinking again. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> he's <laughs> he's prostituting them. To a grocer from food? For food. Oh. <laughs> like, to a grocer. So, like, hey, give me food and you can have sex with her. No, okay. I guess. It just wasn't the way it came out. Sorry, so. sorry. The way that I wrote it was weird. I'm sorry. It's fine. It's, it's fine. It's fine. It just... I wouldn't have said anything if it wasn't for her. She's always got to bring up when I stumble. Um, so he's drinking again. It's because you're so perfect all the time. Oh, I have to point out when you're not. Stop it. I am not. <laughs> he delivered long and drunken sermons, and if someone fell asleep, he would smack their head with a four-inch club. When one of the women who was pregnant ate two more pancakes than she was allowed, he punched her in the side and broke two ribs. All right, he's got to go. <laughs> Guys, it hasn't even Time gotten... to revolt. It hasn't even gotten bad yet. Give me my fucking pancake, I swear to you. Yeah, I will. <laughs> I will hit your ass back. She was pregnant and she ate two pancakes. I don't care, pregnant or not. It's messed up. <laughs> A favorite punishment of his was to force someone to strip naked and stand in the shower for hours. Another member left because, you know, he's getting more violent. And Rosh told everyone that he was taken by the devil. Okay. Yeah. He's got problems. Another woman threatened to leave around this time, and he instructed her legal husband. So remember, he married them off and then said, oh, those are all void. Well, you can't do that. doesn't work that way. So her legal husband, he told her to cut off one of her toes with an axe as punishment. Oh. Her husband hesitated, because he didn't want to do it. And Rosh said, what are you, a faggot? Don't you have any balls? If you want to be a man, you have to learn how to teach your woman a lesson. Mm. So the man, the husband, begins to cry. So Rosh grabbed the axe and threatened to cut off all of her toes. Oh my. Himself. So reluctantly, her husband severed her pinky toe with the axe. I feel like you have to have a lot of precision to take an axe and get one toe. Yeah. A pinky toe. I didn't think about that. The smallest of the toes. (laughs) It's either that or take off all her toes. Like, I can't even separate my pinky toe. <laughs> She's trying to do it right now. Oh, I can wave with my pinky toe. You want to see? Mine cramps if I try to stretch it out too hard. Here. <laughs> Mine cramps. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is so weird. I don't like that, actually. That makes me Hi. feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Hi, friends. Okay. So, February 17th. <laughs> So February 17th comes. Remember what February 17th was? The end of the world. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The end of the world that he prophesied. Minor details. So this comes and nothing happens. It's amazing. I was going to say St. Valentine's Day. (laughs) His excuse was that time is different for God and mortals. And people still stayed with him, even though the end of times did not come when he prophesied. It rarely does. Can you remind me what um, religion it's based off the Seventh Day Adventists, but he like went off on his own thing. Well, what makes me feel better whenever anybody talks about the end of the world and knowing when that will be is that <laughs> that nobody knows when nobody, that, will that be. nobody knows when it's going to be. Nobody except God knows when the end of the world will That's be, true. and so and people have said many different dates, and it's never happened. Yes. 
So people still stayed with him. A parent of one of the... I had to soothe myself. <laughs> You're okay. <laughs> this is payback this is she for... she says in bed by herself. This Nobody is going to be payback knows. for when you did the Spanish flu and you made my anxiety at like 11 when Corona first started. Mm. You see downstairs okay, this is fair. in your, in your <laughs> basement bedroom. Laying there praying. Only God knows. Only God knows. Everything's fine. Only God knows. Okay, but that's totally accurate. <laughs> I mean, it's true. You're right. <laughs> Um, so the parents obtained a court order for a psych hold for their daughter. The police showed up and Rosh repelled them and said, no, you can't come get her. They arrested him for obstruction of justice. He underwent more psychological testing. The family members, while he's being detained, attempted to go to the commune in his absence because they were like, maybe we can convince our kids to come back. But the members all treated them coldly and unwelcoming. Hmm. Meanwhile, Rosh won over the doctors, and he was released early from the hospital, judging to be fit to stand trial and given one year of a suspended sentence. The media portrayed him as a gentle mountain man who just lived a different lifestyle. He's huh. a gentle mountain man. So Canada. Is he the brawny it's man? so Canada. <laughs> oh, he's because just he a gentle mountain man. <laughs> he just played with bears. <laughs> so shortly after this, a member who had multiple sclerosis uh, died after entering a coma. Oh, from the grape juice? Oh, because he wasn't really treating anything. <laughs> Authorities took don't a fur. Don't laugh. <laughs> 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 you guys are awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, he gave the last one grape juice. <laughs> Authorities took her for an autopsy, but there's no foul play found. So he had a new member join when he was in the psych facility one of those members was like hey i'm gonna come join your cult oh <laughs> that sounds a great idea so his name was guy veer okay so he joins but rosh is like you gotta stay in a shed away from everyone <laughs> <laughs> he's like even i don't trust you man <laughs> <laughs> one meal a day okay and he was to babysit the outsider children so these are the children that are not rosh's so, like, some Aww. of these people who came when they were legally married, they had children. Oh, no. And I think there was three children. So, he's like, you're babysitting them. They're the outsiders. I feel like there wasn't full disclosure. This, th- guys, this is where it's starting to get messed up. And my trigger warning here, child death. So, there's a couple versions about what happened that night. But here's the official version. And this is the one that was given in court. Guy Veer. So, according to this version, Samuel, a two-year-old, was crying that night and keeping Guy awake. Guy lost his temper and started screaming at the child to be quiet, picked the two-year-old up by the throat, and plunged his fist into the child's face five or six times. The next day, Rosh discovered what had happened and placed Samuel under the care of Gabriel, who was <laughs> known as the nurse for the group. Lucy, calm She's down. just so... She wants to be a part of the group. I know. So they said allegedly... Baby Samuel's head was flopping around on his neck. Oh, no. And his Mm-mm. penis had swelled up. Oh. So what else are you going to do but take a pair of scissors? And after sterilizing them in alcohol, he lanced Samuel's penis to permit urine to flow out. But the next morning, Samuel was dead. Okay. Is nobody worrying about his head? <laughs> I guess the focus was on the penis. Oh, man. I um, I know. So everything was fine for six months. Like... Police didn't investigate this because they didn't know about it. The parents Mm. didn't report it. Nothing. For six months. And then finally, Rosh was like, hey, guy, you should stand trial because you murdered a two-year-old. Don't know why it took him six months, but whatever. But he was like, you're going to stand trial, but amongst us. We're going to be the judge and jury. Okay. So he appointed the biological father of the child to be the judge. 
That seems, you know, impartial. And then all of his wives were jury. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they decided not guilty by reason of insanity. That might actually be. But Rosh did not accurate. like this. He didn't like it. And so he suggested, why don't we castrate Guy? And the jury agreed. Rosh, you know, to show how charismatic he was, he actually talked Guy into wanting to be castrated. He wow. said, it will cure your headaches as well as your <laughs> excessive masturbating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, That's true. It will. And he said, you will yeah. be promoted from a slave to a eunuch. Oh, so he good. convinced him to sign a letter of consent mm-hmm. to cover his butt and then had him lie down and using an elastic band, a razor blade and ethanol, he castrated him. Supposedly the operation was painless, but I find that hard to believe. But I don't have a penis, so what do I know? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I don't even I, know how to comment. <laughs> I believe you that you don't. I do not. But I it's believe that been. any surgery that is done without anesthesia would be painful. Yeah, accurate. Okay. Um. So. You're going to just have to move on from that. I know. Oh. So Guy became a punching bag by all the other followers. He was still the outsider. So Rosh would have followers go and stab him, or pretend to stab him, but then he would call them off last minute like God did to Abraham in the Bible. So God told Abraham in the Old Testament to go and make an offering of his son, and at the very last minute told him not to, and he was testing his faith. So that's what he was doing with his followers. November 5th, Guy escapes to a village and said that a baby had died after being kicked by a horse. So the police raided the compound and arrested um, both Rosh and Samuel's parents and moved all of the children to foster homes while they were investigating. Hmm. Police charged several, including Veer, or Guy, and the bio dad and Rosh with criminal negligence causing bodily harm to Samuel. The member who cremated the body was charged with obstruction of justice. The other parents were charged with mistreatment and neglect towards the other children. And all of the accused pled not guilty. Um, eventually, everyone was released except for Rosh and Gabrielle. So she was the nurse who attended to the baby. They were all released except for those two uh, with the condition that they could not return to the commune. But those two people were denied bail as they were still considered a danger to society. So there was a nine-month trial. Um, they were found guilty of all charges. The women got three years probation. The men got six months in prison and three years probation after that. Guy was sentenced but acquitted for mental incompetence and returned to the psych hospital. Gabriel, the nurse, was sentenced to nine months in jail with three years probation. And Rosh was sentenced to two years in jail and three years probation um, on each charge to be served concurrently. So pretty much all the adults got put up because they hid this for so many months. Whoa. Um, the members of the group who did not get convicted or didn't have to serve jail time, at least distributed themselves between four apartments in Quebec city so they could be near their leader while he was imprisoned. Oh, please. The police destroyed the commune. Mm -hmm. So Rosh is released from prison February, 1984. He led everybody to burnt river to start all over. He said, look, there's going to be no more alcohol and no more violence. We're turning over a new leaf guys. So they built a new house. At this point, he has two male and nine female followers at this point. And at this point, there's 10 children. So he starts establishing a hierarchy with the wives with different responsibilities. He encouraged the men to beat the women if they talked back to them, um, whether they were pregnant or long. 
He also convinced the members that one of the women had a birthmark looking like 666 and she was ordered to live apart from everyone else in her own hut. Hmm. The welfare funding that they were getting, that stopped um, because uh, they were refused funding. So he ordered the wives to steal from the grocery stores to supply their needs. At least he's not prostituting them. (laughs) I mean, that's one improvement there. Sex work. (laughs) Yeah. Versus, you know. I'd rather steal. <laughs> she didn't hear me. She didn't. Sex worker, not prostitute. Sex worker, okay. not prostitute. Sorry, sorry. Sex working. Well, I mean, I almost want to think trafficking because I don't think these women really had much of a choice there. Um, January 1985, a police officer catches one of the members shoplifting. They did not charge them, even though that member was caught with $453 in stolen merchandise. Oh. So then Rosh is like, okay, we're not going to steal because we don't want the police to be all over us again. So hit up your parents that you haven't talked to in how many years and see if they'll give you some money. And he said, if they refuse you, that just shows that they're corrupting you and they're not worthy. And of course, the family members all refused because, you know. They knew what's up. Right. So he's becoming more desperate for money at this point. So he starts selling fruit and pastries and nicknamed them the Ant Hill Kids. Because they work together like a nest of ants. Okay. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me either, but okay. Never heard that description, but you know. He started drinking again. Uh-oh. He stopped working because his ulcers were hurting him. Damn stomach pain. And he prescribed himself a case of beer for his pain. Okay. All right. <laughs> he is quite... so good at medicine. <laughs> he should really consider professional practice. <laughs> Y'all, here's where he gets real weird. He oh, held. Okay. It's, it's been normal. It's been normal now. <laughs> he would hold no. He would hold no holds barred nude wrestling matches between the women, mm-hmm. manipulating them against each other by picking on their self esteem. Manipulating. Manipulating. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely what I heard. That's because you're a dirty birdie and you were thinking about nipples. A dirty birdie. Um, He would have them hit or kick a man in the middle of the circle during the wrestling matches. If any of them hit him or tried to attack him, they would lose their food rations. They were forbidden to go to the hospital or seek health care from anyone but himself. He would urinate on them, force them to perform sexual acts on each other, and smear them with each other's feces. Whoa. Okay. (laughs) It's Like I said, it's starting to get... Mm weird he um ordered a male member to be circumcised he said that he was punishing them for their sins and they were being purified as a result january 1985 gabriel so she's the nurse who got punished puts her five month old gabriel she's a female oh it would be gabrielle gabrielle okay that's what i was saying okay sorry (laughs) she's the nurse she puts her five month old baby eliezer in a wheelbarrow so this is january in canada Temperature was 14 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 10 Celsius. So the baby was dead by morning. She said that Rosh hated the child and said it bore the mark of the devil and had beaten the five-month-old before. So she thought that putting him outside was an act of mercy for the infant. The Hmm. county coroner, who is a friend of Rosh's, claimed it was SIDS. Okay. That's messed up. So the social workers... They're getting involved, and they are watching them like hawks. Like, they are like, something is going Let's on here. Let's hope so. You've had two deaths of children. Something's going on. So one woman, who was actually the only woman not married to him, she was considered the outcast. She was permitted to leave, but she had to leave her teenage daughter behind to be his next wife. Aww. 
uh, and she had been with him under his <laughs> rule for eight years. So she leaves and begins legal action to get custody of her daughter. She testified against him. The Children's Aid Society swooped in. The social workers waiting, and they took all of the kids into foster care. The kids were all exhibiting disturbing... She agrees. Lucy. <laughs> the kids were all exhibiting disturbing behavior indicative of abuse. So here's what the kids had to say. He's, they said that Rosh would separate them into two groups, and we kind of mm-hmm. talked about this, his kids and those who weren't his. If they were not his, they were regarded as slaves and animals. Um, they were forced to crawl around like animals. They were malnourished, and their parents were forbidden from speaking to them. He considered his kids to be the children of God in the next generation. He was the only one permitted to express any kind of warmth or affection towards the children. He held two children over a fire and threatened to throw one in because he loved to watch the wives beg for their child to be spared. He nailed their clothing to the trees and told them to stone each other, but would call it off last minute. Jeez. All of the kids had rotting teeth because they had no health care. They were deprived of sleep, food, and hygiene. They had no education besides his own religious education he was giving them, and he gave them sex education. The children were able to go into great detail about group sex rights that were being held in the cabin involving the whole family, and they were all raped and molested by him. Mm. All right, we're going to get even more messed up, y'all. So, an independent assessment conducted by the court and two doctors recommended that the children be returned. No. A 300-page report. They celebrated his pioneering spirit and experimental attitude towards sexual education. They accused the government of trying to persecute religious beliefs. What? So the Children's Aid Society, the social workers, they launched their own report. And on October 1987, the court ruled that the children be made wards of the crown and not returned. No parental access was allowed. And they ruled the testimonies of the other doctors were the result of a cultural prejudice of sympathy for any French-speaking community rather than objectivity or concern for the welfare of the children. So the social workers won. And the children won because they didn't have to go back. So nobody would testify against him, though. So he had no further criminal charges. Fast forward. Things are not going well for him. He still has the adult cult members with him. He got drunk and ordered one member to walk around with an elastic band around his scrotum. And it ended up staying on for too long. And he had to cut off the infected scrotum. He cauterized the wound and held a vote on whether the member should be stoned to death. It got defeated, but he took a torch and threatened to open the man's stomach. So the man escaped to the woods, and he stayed there until he sobered. And this is kind of like a reoccurring pattern. Whenever he would get drunk, they would know he was going to be crazy. So they would run to the woods and stay there until he sobered a couple days. So several members started doing this. He threw a knife at Giselle's leg. Um, When she got a clot on her leg later, he ended up operating by pouring boiling water on the leg. But then it got infected, and he filled the wound with salt, olive oil, and spruce scum. He would pass torches over members' backs and pregnant stomachs. He would pull their teeth out. He beat pregnant women until they miscarried. He broke their legs with sledgehammers. He ordered one of his wives to pluck a male member's pubic hair bald. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) He would laugh (laughs) because, like, who just thinks of these things? Ugh, it's like an uncomfortable laugh. Yeah, Kathy Bates in Misery. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> he poured boiling water on them and made them sit on lit stoves. He made them eat feces and dead mice. Ew. August 14th, 1989. Gabri- Gabrielle? <laughs> Gabrielle. Gabrielle. <laughs> she emerged from the woods. 
she weighed 80 pounds and she went to the police and they knew she was a member of his cult and she had a severed arm and told police that he had murdered one of his wives, Solange. She reported he had disemboweled her with a kitchen knife as part of a cult ritual. So here's what happened. Solange, one of the wives, became ill, so she he convinced her that something was wrong with her liver. I don't know why. So he got drunk. He put an enema in her rectum with molasses, oil, and water. Then he punched her stomach and inserted the tube down her throat, telling everyone else to blow and suck on the tube. Then he made a five-inch vertical incision on her right side below her ribs, pulled out some tissue, sewed her back up, put her in a bath, and then she started throwing up blood and died pretty much right afterwards. I'm sure she did. So he was distraught by this and attempted suicide by overdose and drowning, but said God didn't want him to die. That's why he survived. So then he became even more delusional and said he was pregnant with his deceased wife, Solange. So he had her dug up. What? This is, I'm sorry, guys. Graphic, graphic warning here. That's not even it. I'm just like, what the hell's wrong with this guy on so many levels? He has her dug up. Oh, boy. He makes a hole in her skull with a hand drill, and he masturbates into the hole, convinced that this would resuscitate her. It it didn't. Right. Okay. So all of this came to light because in July 1989. very sick. yeah, Yeah, very sick. He was drunk, and everyone went to the hills to hide except for Gabrielle. So he had already cut off one of her fingers earlier. He stabbed her hand with a hunting knife, which pinned her to the table where she couldn't move. He continued to drink. Her arm turns blue, and he said, It's not looking so good, is it? So then he cut her arm off to the bone and then used a meat cleaver to break the bone off. She did not cry out the entire time. So wow. then he convinced her that her stump was, you guys are going to have to help me with this word, gangrenous. Gangrenous. Yep. It's infected. Yeah. So yeah. he tried to cut the infection out. She fled. She returned two days later mm-hmm. and he was still drunk. So he heated some metal and pressed it against her stump to cauterize it. And then she escaped right after that. Um, she made it to a hospital. She had some made up story. Nobody believed her. The police were called and that's what happened. So he was arrested for assault against her. All of the members had fled the compound at this point. Some of them had gone to their families because they were like, basically his spell was broken. They're like, this dude is not okay. Yeah. There's something wrong with him. It took them about- It took that long. Yeah. It took- He had control. It was like 1977 and 1989. 12 years. They couldn't find him. It took them about six weeks to locate him. Nobody even mentioned Solange's death until October 1989, and Giselle was the one who did it. And unknown to her, it was the day that they found him and arrested him. So they were just looking for him for assault, for cutting off this arm. And then the day that they found him is when they were like, oh yeah, he also killed one of his wives. So he's convicted of murder in 1993 and received a life sentence. He was denied parole in 2002. Three of his wives continued to visit him for conjugal visits. Because they were the only three who were still committed to him. Two of them bore him more children while he was in prison. Prison staff spoke highly of him and said he was very charismatic and nice. No. So he was serving this sentence at Dorchester Penitentiary until he was murdered in 2011 by his cellmate, who was also a convicted murderer. His cellmate Mm -hmm. pled guilty to second-degree murder and got another life sentence. And he said he stabbed him in the neck with a shiv, walked to the guard station... Handed them the weapon calmly and said, that piece of shit is down on the range. Here's the knife. I've sliced him up. Wow. 
Whoa. So, fun fact, Gabrielle wrote a book, but it's only in French, so I can't read it. Which it's called, I'm not going to even try to pronounce it in French, but translated, it translates to Alliance of the Sheep. And she wrote a book about her experience of being under his rule for 1977 to 1989, so 12 years. That's crazy. Two children murdered, one woman and one, I mean, several of them abused and terribly injured. Terribly injured. So that was my um, sicko, depraved, delusional. Are there any movies or any... um... There are a couple documentaries about him. I will totally watch those. Um, I found one on YouTube. I find cults fascinating. I do too. Like just how they're able to convince people for 12 years. Like he's literally doing horrible, unspeakable things to you and you're still staying with him. He killed two children and you still stay with him. I know. I know. Did you watch um, another good one is... Wild Wild Country on I don't think I've seen that one on Netflix. I'll have to watch that one. Yes, and I enjoyed it. You watched that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That mm-hmm. I had no idea what it was about. Yeah. I recommend that one, Lindsay. You would like really it. like it. I'll watch it. I'll watch that after I've done one mine, Hunter. So just because I recommended it wasn't enough, but she's d- <laughs> and she doesn't listen to any of our recommendations. <laughs> she has seconded my opinion. Well, so. here's the thing, though. You know that I hardly watch anything. So I if I do watch something, yeah, besides then YouTube. <laughs> okay i love youtube but i do too anyways it's excellent and um wild, i was wild, really wild. surprised i'd never heard about any of that no i asked my my mom about it i was yeah. like did you hear anything about this and she's like yeah it sounds vaguely familiar and i told her to watch it and she still hasn't she's exactly like I'm me i'm putting it on so my good. netflix queue now it seems like it was kind of a big deal but for sure nobody really talks about it not at all anymore i feel like i've heard of it or i've seen it while i've been scrolling yeah wild, but even wild s- country yes but even still i, I don't like, think wild, the, wild west. that's, that's just it i was just gonna say <laughs> i don't think the name really it wild, wild doesn't west. give you any indication about what the storyline's about so anyways fascinating okay. you'll love it if you're i just put it on my cold and it's actually like a real documentary not like a yeah and it's well done remake. it's yeah i mean i really enjoyed it it comes it from really every single side of it mm-hmm I think I binged it all in one day. I for sure did. Yeah. <laughs> it's like six or seven episodes, something like that. Good stories. Okay. Thanks, Loved guys. it. So you guys can find us on the Tipsy Ghost on Facebook and Instagram and email us some um, stories to the tipsy ghost at gmail.com because we're getting ready to have a listener story come out, right? Oh, yeah. All we right. are. So if you want to hear your stories, send them to us, guys. We'll read them out. Send them away. All right. Thanks, guys, for hanging out with us for true crime. Sorry for all of the grossness that we just talked about. But we'll see you guys next week. See you later. Okay, bye. All right, bye. Bye.